Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Knows? My name is Chris, and I will be your reader today. And today we're going to get back into some fiction. There's a story that I found on Reddit that uh, was uh, submitted by user Peculi underscore Dar. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting so far. It kind of has the uh, makings for a, a short horror film or something. Um, and we'll just get right into it. If you haven't read the first part, go or listen to the first part, go listen to it. If you want to read the whole thing before I finish reading this on this podcast, then you can go ahead and follow the links to the stories. Um, sometimes I'm reading a book, unless you have the book, it's kind of hard to do that, but this one's on the internet and hopefully you have access to it. So today we're going to go to part two and here's the. Here's the title of it. I guess every part has its own title. So an old guy hired me to manage his life-size dollhouse. It's time for my appointment with a hygienist. A hygienist appeared in the doorway. He was a tall, muscular man clad in dark navy surgical scrubs. A tinted visor mask obscured the top half of his face, leaving only a wide, open-mouthed grin exposed. His teeth were bleached white but crooked, a combination so bizarre I had to do a double take. Tufts of gray hair poked out from behind the mask, and the skin on his forearms was covered in liver spots. Hello, Louisa, he said, lingering on the threshold. How do you like the other girls? It's Lou, I replied, clenching the Swiss army knife in my palm, and I'd much rather know what the fuck you did to them. The man threw his head back, hooting with laughter like a drunk at a rodeo bar. I tried to see beyond the visor, but only the deep set lines around his mouth and nose were visible. His jaw twitched periodically as though he had bad craving for a hit only I could supply. I'm happy to show you, he said, pulling a metal contraption into view. You know those claw machines kids waste all their money on? The weapon looked a lot like a claw from one of those, only instead of slippery tongs, there were three sharp steel blades. His right hand was practiced at working the levers, and I noticed the familiar bull creature tattooed on his inner wrist. The blade sliced through the air with sickening ease as the man snapped the device open and shut with just a flick of a finger. I wasted no time in backing up to the furthest part of the room, coming to a halt behind an armchair with a doll I didn't recognize. I felt quite helpless then. His mask ensured I would do no in his mask ensured I would do more harm to myself with the pepper spray and my Swiss army knife didn't stand a chance against his handheld torture device. I glanced at the clock, trying to count how long I had before Ronnie arrived. He had promised 40 minutes, an hour tops, but I was, I was sure that no more than 20 minutes had passed since I ended our call. Something wrong, Lou? The man mocked. He lunged at me as I dashed to the next armchair, upsetting some bird ornaments on a small round table to the side of Rainbow Doll's seat. Time slowed as we bopped around the room like some demented version of Tom and Jerry, upsetting the delicate balance of the parlor room's interior. He had the door covered at all times, and I was losing stamina as the chase progressed. I was running toward the armchair that held, armchair that held the most familiar doll, Cynthia, when I tripped over a rug and face-planted with a nasty crack of the neck. I rolled over on my back just in time to see the man grab my left foot and lift my body off the floor. He snapped the metal monstrosity inches away from my ankle. Want me to trim your legs, Lou? He wheezed with laughter. Don't you want to leave your stump on the world? I watched in horror as he teased my left ankle with the blades, inching them close enough to nick the skin. 
Droplets of blood fell on my face, running down into my eyes as I wriggled like an upside-down trout in a fisherman's grasp. I wiped the blood away and tried to kick the guy in the balls with my other leg, but he only sunk the tool deeper into my ankle as punishment. I felt it then. The pain of a thousand beatings compressed into me, into one, impossible sensation spreading through my leg. I screamed in anguish, jerking my body violently, kicking and snarling like a vicious animal. Funny how all pretense of sophistication Funny how all pretense of sophistication melts away in a situation like that. How we turn to our latent savage selves for just a shot at postponed mortality. Was this my fate? Was Vanderlee going to become my final resting place? Cynthia and the rest of the girls suggested so, staring me down with those vacant knowing expressions. Panic raced through my body as my screams grew louder than the man's laughter, louder than the sound of blades striking bone. I was about to succumb to full-blown hysteria when a slight movement flickered at the edge of my vision. I turned my head, desperately hoping to see Ronnie, and felt my despair double as Mrs. Claymore entered the room instead. I wanted to turn my attention back to the man who was busy mauling, off, mauling my foot off, but something stopped me. It was like someone had turned down the volume on reality, like a blur filter had been applied to the room, dulling my surroundings. The man's howls grew distant, soft even, and I felt a warm pull drawing my gaze to Mrs. Claymore's face, her eyes. Their deep chestnut tones flickered in yellow hues. Find your darkness, child, her voice rang through my mind as loud, loud as early morning church bells. Out of darkness comes light, out of bad comes good. My mind screamed, willing her presence out of my head, but she wasn't finished. Dig deep into the hollows that nurtured you through infancy, the vacancy of tenderness, the depravity of your surroundings. You bathed in darkness for power. Use it now or fall into the abyss of a lesser being fate. The room snapped back to normal. Rather, it snapped back to the reality where the man, known as the hygienist, was digging his fingers into my half-amputated foot, licking his lips in preparation for a feast I didn't want to imagine. Should have fainted then, from pain, horror, or both. Instead, something clicked into place and I withdrew. Not physically, not right away. I did what I've been doing all my life. I closed my eyes, falling deep inside myself. It didn't take long for me to sink into the void, into that space that harbored all my worst memories. I ran through them like a stack of flashcards. Uncle Benji flinging me at a wall, age five. The social worker stubbing out a cigarette on my shoulder, age seven. My cousin Alice sticking me with the used needle, age nine. So on and so forth. I added the hygienist to the pile of garbage my circumstances had produced. A black swirl of collected darkness, a cackling chaos that swelled inside my chest. For once, I didn't soothe or coddle it into submission. I didn't breathe and count to ten. I let it stretch in and around me until it grew into an entity of its own, a power that could not, would not be contained. It was time. When I opened my eyes, I was no longer hanging upside down. I stood firmly on both feet, my chin raised to the tall ceiling of Vanderlei. Above my head, the hygienist screamed bloody murder as invisible forces rotated him in the air like a rotisserie bird. I began with his eyes, one for my ankle, the second for that stupid joke about stumps. I focused on the tiny vessels in the optic nerve, heating them from the inside like a microwave. I still couldn't see beyond the mass, but I felt them growing, swelling from the heat. The man started begging for mercy, squirming as both eyeballs exploded in his skull, splattering the inside of the visor mask with a sickening squelch. No, please, he wailed in agony. Please. Next, I started pulling teeth, 11 total, one for every girl he touched within the confines of this house. The doll's lifeless eyes begged me to make him suffer. 
I dragged each tooth from the depths of his gums, using it to claw at the skin on his neck and chest as I watched his blood shower down from above. I ended it by unhinging the fucker's jaw, by shoving a knot of 11 teeth into the depths of his throat, choking out his livelihood with a thick molar dick of my own creation. His gagging came in violent spurts as he groped at the raw muscle tissue on his neck. It didn't take long for his body to go limp and sink to the floor at my feet. The hygienist was dead. I had killed him. Mrs. Claymore appeared at my side as I struggled to steady my breathing. My body was in a state of exhilaration, of mind-numbing ecstasy. My breath came in uneven gasps, a fervent thrill racing through my limbs, pulsating in my fingertips. My whole life I had made myself small to stay out of people's way, but now I was larger than all my abusers. I was larger than life itself. Give me the knife, child, Miss Claymore reached for my right hand. I was surprised to see that I had weighed the Swiss ar- wedged the Swiss Army knife all the way through my palm. The wound looked worse than a butcher's experiment, but I felt only a trickle where pain should be. Mrs. Claymore pulled out the knife in one swift motion. Come sit with me. I will take care of your wounds before the numbing wears off, she said, walking to the other side of the room and removing two dolls from a pair of armchairs. I watched as she laid them out on the floor side by side like two corpses in a twin coffin. Wait. I hesitated, my mind slowly adjusting to reality. I couldn't explain what I had just done in any rational sense of the word, and though it felt like Mrs. Claymore had come to my rescue, it didn't explain why she led me around Vanderly under false pretenses. My dear, if I had wished to harm you, I would have done so already, she responded to my thoughts. Now come sit, we don't have much time before my husband and his friends arrive. You don't want to meet them. I looked at her again. She looked like an impatient disciplinarian wishing to do away with a tedious child. Perhaps I should have feared her then, but the euphoria was already leaving my body as spikes of pain started to go off in odd places. I didn't have much choice. Besides, for some inexplicable reason, I trusted her. I hobbled over to the empty armchair at Mrs. Claymore's side. She went straight to work, lifting my half-amputated foot and setting it comfortably in her lap. She didn't have any bandages or ointments, and I felt embarrassed for bleeding on her skirt. Unbothered, she closed her eyes, holding out her right hand inches above my injury. I watched in silence as she drained the blood from my chopped up ankle, sucking it into the palm of her hand. She left only pale, damaged flesh that started to glaze over, the flaps of my skin coming together under a layer of something rubbery and wax-like. Replacing my foot on the ground, Mrs. Claymore repeated the process on my hand. I wanted to say something, but could only stare as she wiped clean the canvas of gore, leaving behind a drought of flesh, lifeless and clear. The rubbery substance began to spread as though growing from inside my hand. When she was done, I ran the fingers of my other hand over the faux patch of skin in my damaged palm. It felt oddly familiar. Oh, I said, a horrible realization drawing on me as I took in the room again. Real dolls. Miss Claymore was about to reply when someone entered the house, banging the front door as they rushed in. I caught a flash of fear on her face as she threw a glance at the doorway. It was gone a second later when we heard my cousin's voice calling out. Lou, he cried, his bulky footsteps sliding rapidly across the downstairs floor. Lou, I'm up here, I called back, my voice sounding oaky, croaky, and foreign. Miss Claymore got up from her armchair and walked over to the nearby bookshelf. Though, though her movements were poised, I noticed there was a briskness about her that was absent before. She pulled a book off one of the shelves and a narrow part of the parlor wall slid open to reveal more bare concrete just like the space behind the closet mirror wall. The mistress of Vanderly House stepped inside, turning to close the hidden door behind her. 
Don't come back here, she said before I could stop her. The bullman will know about you after today. She was gone seconds before my cousin Ronnie ran into the room. He stopped mid-stride, surveying the macabre, macabre display before him. While he appeared strangely calm as he told me to get up and follow him out of the house, I knew him well enough to see he was bubbling below the surface. We made an odd pair, walking out of that house, me drenched in blood and Ronnie with a stone-faced deliberation. I couldn't pull my eyes away from the pretty white tulips on the ground and the charming cobblestone path. How many other sickening truths lay behind this polished exterior? I turned to look at Vanderlei before getting in the car. It just stood there, flawless as ever, as though nothing had ever happened. There was a heavy silence in the car as we drove away from the house. I was still buried in myself, trying to make sense of everything. And Ronnie was probably trying to figure out what the hell he had just walked in on. This wasn't the first time he'd pulled me out of a dangerous situation, but it was the first instance where he didn't have to step in to protect me. The girl in the seat next to him was different from the cousin he grew up with, and he could feel it. Ronnie didn't speak to me until after he parked the car in a lot, in a lot not far from my dorm room. What the hell happened, Lou? He finally asked, keeping his hands on the wheel, staring blankly ahead as though still driving. I don't know, I told him truthfully. Did I just not did I not just walk in on you in a room with a dead body in it? You did, I agreed. And the blood? The dead man's, I admitted. Did you kill him? He spoke through grinding teeth. I did, Ronnie. If I hadn't, he would have killed me. I put a hand on his shoulder, a gesture I knew would eventually melt the ice. We were only cousins, but he had always been more like a parent to me. The only true guardian I'd ever known. So what now? Do you need me as an alibi, a character witness? He asked, his voice strangled with emotion. I don't think so, I replied, unsure of how to explain that there wasn't a chance in hell that any of this would be handled through the traditional justice system. Will you tell me what happened? He turned to look at me, concern aging his eyes by decades. I will once I sort it all out in my head, I promised. For now I have to get cleaned up. I have classes later today. Okay, he hesitated. Do you want to meet up tomorrow morning to talk? I can't. I have more classes, I said, opening the car door. We parted then. I'm sure he would have liked to stick around for a while to make sure I was okay, but I needed space to process the events of the day. Ronnie didn't like me keeping secrets, but he also knew I rarely did so without good reason. I, probably, I would probably try to tell him eventually the parts that made sense anyway. But first I had to learn the truth myself. What was I? How did I do those things to the hygienist? How did Mrs. Claymore read minds and heal wounds? Who was her husband? Who were the bullmen? Most importantly, was there even a slight chance that some of the dolls could be alive, buried in wax, but sustained through some magic I wasn't aware of? Was there a way I could get them out of that house? I stared at the patch of silicone in my palm. I had no choice. I had to go back. After all, no one had actually fired me from my nine o'clock shift at Vanderlei. And that's the end of part two. Pretty good stuff. Uh, like I said, you know, kind of sounds like a house of wax type of thing. But uh, that was part two. We'll get into part three here sometime this week. Uh, I wanted to get a few more episodes out in a day. So you'll, you'll be seeing some, uh, some episodes just pop out randomly whenever. If you are not already a part of my Facebook group, it is facebook.com backslash who knows podcast um 
a lot of good stuff on there. Mostly the Facebook group is just for discussion. If you have anything to add, if you have any suggestions, please get a hold of me on there. Uh, you can also get a hold of me, I think, through my email through uh, anchor.fm. So thanks again for listening. I appreciate you guys coming by. I hope you're enjoying it. Let me know. All right. Okay, bye.